Well, good morning, Chaparral family. I really loved getting a chance to hear from Megan and Tyler this morning. It was a great reminder that we've all had challenges over this past year. And we've been stretched to grow and change through these challenges, especially when it comes to relationships. With the extra pressure going around in our family, I can tell you that kindness and gentleness has been a regular conversation in my home. We've talked about how do we practically show kindness to each other? How do we treat each other with more gentleness? And then after we learn how to do that inside of our home, how do we carry that out into our community and even into our world? I'm excited to be with you this morning and get a chance to open up God's word and read it together and see what he has to say on the subjects of kindness and gentleness. Early into this year, God put these two words on my heart, and at the time, I didn't understand how closely woven together they really were, which means it is impossible for us to be kind without being gentle. And the same is true. You cannot be gentle without being kind. The very definition of gentleness includes kindness. And both definitions include being considerate. Yes, I have spent quite a bit of time in the dictionary lately, but last definition, I promise. Consideration means showing careful thought and sympathetic regards, careful not to cause inconvenience or hurt to others. Today, we're going to ask God the question, what does it mean to have kindness, to have gentleness in our lives, and choose to have purposeful consideration for others? I'm not speaking on this from a place of mastery, quite the opposite. I am speaking from a place as a follower of Jesus and a desire to dive into his word and be more like him. And so as we dive into this learning and growing together, we're going to start off by praying. Let's pray together. Precious Jesus, Lord, we thank you for the ability to learn and grow together, Lord, that in our imperfections we can find who you are and, God, that you meet us in them. So Jesus, as we seek your word about what it means to be kind and what it means to have more gentleness in our lives, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move. God, that you would show us areas where we need to grow and learn. And God, that your mercy and your love would also wash off over us and remind us, Lord, of the kindness and gentleness you have for us as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As I said, I truly believe the best way we can learn about this subject is to dive in and read the words of God together. So, we're going to spend some time today in John 8. This passage starts when Jesus shows up in the temple, something that's not out of the norm for him. And it says that all the people gathered around him. The message version actually says that they swarm him. And that Jesus stops whatever he's doing whatever he had planned for the day, and he sits down and begins teaching them. We see in this passage that Jesus has significant influence in this community. He goes into this building, this place of worship, and all the people flock to him to hear what he has to say. 
His reputation precedes him in such a way that there is at minimum a curiosity to sit under his teachings. Well, many gather to see him, but not all. We see no mention of the ones who are set aside to spiritually lead God's people. There's no mention of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. They're not coming to the feet of Jesus ready to soak in his teachings. Although they're not listening to Jesus, I think we can make a fairly safe assumption that they were there when the crowd started swarming. That they knew Jesus was there because we're going to read in just a moment that they came looking for him. I can imagine, again, making the assumption that they were there when they saw Jesus enter into the temple and witness the influence that he had on their community, they were angry. You see, Jesus and the Pharisees have a history. Before this moment took place, Jesus was found in the temple. He had turned over the very tables in the temple and driven out the vendors that were taking advantage of those who came to worship God. We also see the Pharisees talking about the fact that Jesus was baptizing more people into his teachings and his ways than even John the Baptist. Then in John 5, we see Jesus heal on the Sabbath and claim to be the Son of God. It is the first time we read in John that the Pharisees wanted to kill him. The scripture says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal to God. So there they are, watching Jesus walk into the temple and begin teaching their people. How dare Jesus come here again and speak as if he is God, blaspheming the very word of God. So they make a plan yet again to trap him. They show up in John 8, 4, coming before Jesus saying, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. They have grabbed this woman from wherever she was, with whomever she was with, and they dragged her to the temple to be shamed in front of everyone in her community. When I read this story, I cannot help but feel this incredible empathy and pain for this woman. I doubt that the angry Pharisees were after the head of Jesus showed any kindness to even grant this woman the dignity of a covering. So there she stood, naked and afraid, her partner in crime left behind, looking into the eyes of the men standing before her, knowing that by law, they held the power to kill her. The Pharisees continued saying, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, accusing Jesus. At that moment, there are so many ways that Jesus could have responded. 
he could have bent down and picked up the first stone and thrown it at her. Because they're correct, that was the law, and this woman was found guilty. He could have chosen to keep quiet and be slow to take action, being careful to protect himself and being careful to not create more trouble for his followers. Because the reality is this wasn't his problem. Or, on the other side of things, he could have chosen to say it all. At that moment, he could have chosen to shame the Pharisees. Jesus has already told this group he is God, which means he is all-knowing, which means he could have chosen to tell the Pharisees sin past, present, and what will be. He could have used this moment against them. He knew that they had a desire to kill him. And it would have been the perfect moment to turn the crowd against him. And in all honesty, if I were in Jesus' shoes, this probably would have been my response. Witnessing the scene of intentional humiliation and knowing the evil motives and selfish ambitions that were held by the Pharisees, I more than likely would have had a desire to humiliate them back but not Jesus. Instead, Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We can only imagine at that moment what Jesus was writing. The Bible does not tell us the detail. Maybe he was writing the sins of the Pharisees. Maybe he was writing scripture. Maybe he was writing the pain and the story of the woman standing before him. We really don't know. But what we do know is that those who heard his words began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. In looking at this story, we see a picture of the gentleness and kindness of God. Yes, for the woman caught in adultery. Where the law demanded her death, Jesus offered her life. We see Jesus offer her forgiveness. She is not condemned. We see his mercy through his protection he gives from those who would kill her for their own gain. We see his direct call, go now and leave your life of sin. He gives her another chance to follow God's plan for her life. When I look at this story, it is not hard for me to understand God showing kindness to this sinful woman. 
I look at this story and I think, what was it in her life that led her to this place of adultery? Was she like Bathsheba, going about her day, going about her life, when someone with power and influence came and seduced her? Was she widowed? Or maybe even never married, just trying to make it in a world where women had few rights and little ability to survive on their own? Was she desperate for safety and protection? What led her to that place, that moment, where she was completely exposed, standing naked in front of so many, literally and figuratively, what is harder for me to grasp is the kindness Jesus showed towards the Pharisees. It's harder for me to understand how God would offer grace to those with malicious motives. When we look at the scripture, we see that Jesus was not just kind to this woman. Jesus was kind and gentle to all that were there. Those who were ready to throw the first stone those who would intentionally use this woman's life as a weapon. In the midst of injustice, Jesus was kind. In the heat of their attacks, he was gentle. He would look into the faces of the men he knew would succeed in killing him. And he still gave them another chance to find and follow the heart of God. Every single person walked away that day. Not one was condemned. Not one was left without hope. I'm convinced if we want to be more like Jesus, if we truly want to understand what it means to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after him with our whole selves, gentleness and kindness are not optional. And it's not something we can choose to be selective with. Luke 6.32 tells us, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Kindness is at the very center of what it means to love another even those who are hard to love, even those enemies seeking to harm. And if we are really seeking to have more gentleness and kindness flow from our lives, there are two things that will require from us. The first is humility. Before we talk about what humility is, let's first talk about what humility is not. Humility is not demeaning yourself. It is not putting yourself down or failing to see the uniqueness and how God created you. God takes pride in you. Genesis 1.27 says, we were created in the image of God. Psalm 149 tells us, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. And Psalm 139 praises God because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a beautiful creation of God. He loves you and he is proud of who he created you to be. So humility is not demeaning yourself. Humility is also not losing your voice or opinions. 
In the story we read in Luke, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. He was not staying silent. He was actively speaking the word of God, even when the religious leaders pushed to quiet him. He still spoke truth. He still shared the word of God because humility is not backing down from biblical truth. But humility is being able to admit we do not have it all together. Humility is being able to consider we may not know the answers. It's taking responsibility for mistakes that we make along the way. It's seeing ourselves clearly and being able to evaluate who we are fairly, not thinking of ourselves better than we ought, but being able to be honest in our evaluation. It is choosing to add value to others, doing nothing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. My friends, humility allows us to remove ourselves from the seat of judgment. It means that we are not throwing stones at other people, but it also means that we are not throwing stones at ourselves. When we lean into humility, it naturally creates a space for kindness and gentleness to flourish. The second ingredient we will require is even harder than the first. The second is surrender. I say it's harder because, honestly, one of my biggest challenges in life is wanting control. Control gives me this false sense of safety. With control, I feel like I can protect myself from the world. I feel like I can protect my kids from those who want to harm them. Protect those I love from disappointment and pain. Control allows me to feel like I have a choice in the direction of my life. I can keep away from those who want to hurt me, and I can even punish those I deem unforgivable. And it does not require me to truly trust anyone. And that's the problem. The problem is when you hold tight to control, it always holds back a piece of you from others. And more importantly, it holds back a piece of you from God. It is impossible to have control and surrender to God because control is the exact opposite of surrender. And it is impossible to surrender to God if you do not trust the goodness of God. Jesus was able to show kindness and gentleness with encountering evil motives with others because he trusted in the goodness of God. He trusted that God's plan cannot be thwarted by man. And as followers of Jesus, if we truly believe that God is good, if we truly believe that God loves us, if we believe that he is faithful and that he will never forsake us, that he cares for us, that he wants good in our lives, if we believe that God is worthy of our trust because his goodness and love is chasing after us all the days of our lives, then we would choose surrender. 
we would put down the stones of judgment, not just for those we deem redeemable, not just those we find lovable, but we would put down the stones for all. In my hand, I hold this white cloth that represents surrender. And shortly online, you will find prayers of surrender. You see, there is significance in surrender. There is significance in this white flag. In our society, this white flag represents surrender to another. But this white is also a part of the Christian flag and represents a sign of surrender to God. Today, as we pray, I ask you to consider, are you truly ready to fully surrender? What area are you still holding tight to? What area are you still desperately trying to keep control of? Is it anger towards somebody who has wronged you? Are you unwilling to trust God and his justice over your own? Is it grief? Or possibly the fear that God will take something or someone of significant value from you? Is there a reservation that is keeping you from fully leaning in and trusting the goodness of God? What business today do you need to settle with God? What business today do you need to surrender to God? It is impossible for us to give kindness and gentleness to others without first receiving it from God. As we pray, if you are ready to take another step in surrender, I encourage you, let's hold up our white flags together. Let's pray. Precious Jesus, God, the road you have called us to is not an easy road. God, you have said that the path is narrow. Because, God, it is not easy. But, God, it is worth it. You have told us, Jesus, when we surrender our lives to you, when we seek after you, Lord, that you will fill us with so many good things, including kindness and gentleness for others. And, God, we ask, Lord, as we surrender to you, to your will, God, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your peace and your love. And God, we ask, Lord, that you would allow us to trust in the goodness of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness in our lives and that we can proclaim that your goodness and mercy chases after us all the days of our life. Help us, Jesus, to be more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.